at the end of the day, when you have such a great collection of people that have come together, you know, I feel very fortunate that these three other individuals wanted to come up on board and be a part of this team and share this same goal. And we all were able to work together and, and make it happen, you know, and without that, it wouldn't have gone so well. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to episode 36 of the Dark Zone, your adventure racing podcast. Today we are joined by Team Hunting Bigfoot. Mary Foster, Misty Nielsen, Meg Hammond, and Sam Prestige recently completed the Endless Mountains Adventure Race held in North Central Western Pennsylvania this past June. Um, They had a great experience, a strong team, um, a lot of communication before the race, a lot of communication during the race, and their experience was wonderful and challenging. And we're grateful that they bring their full selves to this interview. So for your long drives this July 4th weekend, Sit back and relax and enjoy Team Hunting Bigfoot. So welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. We are joined tonight by Team Hunting Bigfoot, who recently completed the very successful and well-regarded Endless Mountains Adventure Race, which was held June of 2022 um, in in Clarion, Pennsylvania. It was a five-day, 120-hour course covering hundreds of miles. And from all accounts, it sounds like hunting Bigfoot had a great experience. Mary, I'm going to toss it to you first. You're on the hot seat. Talk a bit about the race. How'd the team do? The team did fantastic. Um, This was the first time that all of us raced together um, as a team. Um, And our goal was to experience every part of the course. We wanted to stay what at the time we thought was full course, which meant touching every single section of the course that we possibly could without having to um, miss a section. That was our main goal. And our, our second goal was to get everybody to the finish line um, in as one piece as possible. And we hit both of those goals exceptionally well. And we had a fantastic time doing it. Um, so many laughs along the way, taking photos and just, we called it, we were, we called it the experience. We were, we were taking the experience route um, in this race. So, so the, so it sounds like from the very beginning that the, this was a new combination of teammates and and Sam, I'm going to come to you in a second. So you're up in a moment, new combination of teammates with a variety of experience levels between the four of you. So it was a bit of a, bit of a, an experiment in teamwork, an experiment in distance and length. Sam, could you do me a favor? Could you mention who you are and could you introduce your teammates? Yeah, so my name is Sam Prestige. Uh, I've been doing adventure races in some format or another for about 10 years. Um, this is my, uh, Endless Mountains was my third, like, proper uh, expedition race, but I've done, I don't know how many, four to 24-hour races throughout the, the Mid-Atlantic and a couple of different places. Um, and Meg, uh, you Meg Hammond has been racing for a couple of years now. First proper expedition race as well with a handful of races in the Mid-Atlantic all over. And then Misty actually been racing for like a year and a half, started in the pandemic, but this was race number 13 for her. Um, and her... Uh, first few were virtual races. So really dove into the deep end with 24 hour, 36 hour virtual races, and then uh, quickly jumped to um, to the expedition race with Mary, our team captain and founder slash co-founder slash, I don't know, of Hunting Bigfoot, uh, mastermind of Hunting Bigfoot. And this is, I think this is Mary and mine's second expedition together. Um, but we've been following each other around in the woods in one way or another for I don't know, five or six years, one of us would pop out of the woods and the other one would be there. And the checkpoint would most of the time be pretty near about. So it sounds like one of those experiences where you you sort of, you were in each other's orbits along the way. And when the time came to put a team together, you were able to sort of all come together. Now, you mentioned that you had done two expedition level races before. What two have you done? 
Okay. Uh, Mary and I did C to C together last year. Uh, literally, the last thing that I did before COVID shut down the universe uh, was finish C to C with Mary um, and Danielle, or Daniel, um, and then our other partner, Emmy. Um, and then previous to that, I did Untamed New England up in Maine. I think that was in 18. Um, and that was, uh, Mary mentioned the experience route that we had on this. Our, um, my untamed experience was incredibly different and it actually led a lot of to the decision-making for me at least on taking the experience route of this um, led to that to make sure we could see everything as opposed to trying to chase cutoffs or have a, not that I had a less than positive experience in Untamed, but have a more complete experience. So, so Sam had spoken about his experience at Untamed New England. The fact that he was bringing to a, a big race, right? He was bringing Untamed New England 2018. I was at that race also, big race. Mentioned C2C, three-day race. Expedition is a little tenuous on the definition there, but you were coming that. Misty, you're an interesting teammate to have. Here you are racing a year and a half and you've done virtual races. Is this the biggest, longest race that you've ever done? Uh, yeah, it's definitely the longest race I've done. Before that, it was uh, 36 hours, two rivers with Mary. So so it sounds like the Venn diagram is interesting because Mary's raced with Sam, Misty's raced with Mary. Meg, who have you raced with here before? Uh, none of these guys, but Matt Wilson, who Matt knows Wilson. Mary and who's who knows raced Mary. with Mary. Okay, so there's there's the another M by the way. So Matt, welcome welcome to yeah. the podcast, Matt. Um, and, and we'll talk about Sam's hallucinations later on, having Mary, Misty, and Meg as teammates. Um, and so clearly, recognizing the fact that you were going to have the experience, right? That was the goal, right? You want to get across in one piece. You want to touch every piece of the course. A lot of times, we we talk in adventure racing that the if teams need to have a conversation going into the event about what they expect the event to be like for it to go smoothly. And it sounds like to me that you, you all had that conversation with each other going into the race, that, that, that was one thing you could control is having that conversation. Mary, does that make sense? For sure. We did. Um, as soon as the, the course overview, the schematic came out, we set up a zoom call. Um, and we spent, gosh, a good hour and a half, maybe even two hours on that call and just kind of really made sure we were all on the same page, made sure we all kind of had some some roles so everybody was involved in some way. It wasn't just like I was telling people what to do the whole time as the captain or, you know, it, it or, you know, people had involvement. So they were engaged. Um, it's a long race, you know, you want to keep people involved as much as possible, although there are, you know, down moments, but yeah, we did. We, we had a great conversation going into it about what, what we all wanted to get out of it. And, and I think we all achieved that really well. I mean, it was, I, for one had an amazing experience and these guys were fantastic to race with. I do it again in a heartbeat. And to your point, and I know the folks at home can't can't see this, but when you referenced that you had a fantastic experience, all three of your teammates smiled without realizing it, right? So they sent <laughs> that that nonverbal cue that they too had a wonderful experience. And and credit to you as a team, early you recognize what you could control and what you couldn't control. And what you couldn't control was your individual experiences on the course itself, but you could control the communication going into the event itself. Um, and especially with a team that on paper had never traveled. Well, first of all, you never raced together as a group, the four of you, and you never traveled that far of a distance. There are, there are racers on your team who have never done true blue 120 hour expedition races. So that must've been a significant challenge. Question for anybody. Did you have a chance to train together as four before the race or was this no. your first time being together? That was our first true time being together. Was the start of the race. Yeah. Sam and I, wow. Sam and I get wow. together, um, not frequently, but we get together and spend weekends with our families doing stuff. Misty and I race a lot together, just her and I. Um, and we also got together and did, did a weekend or a day with Sam. Um, we unfortunately didn't get a chance to, to, to race with Meg or do any training with Meg, but, uh, I, um, uh, 
got a lot of good intel from Matt about her. So I wasn't concerned. Um, I've known Matt a long time and raced beside him for a long time. So, you know, I believed in what he was telling me with Meg. So um, I, I truly wasn't concerned about putting us all in a group together for the first time at a five-day race. So, so Meg, coming to you there, how did you feel going into the race, knowing that you were with it's an interesting dynamic, right? You had teammates that had sort of raced with each other together. So there's a bit of a familiarity there. You're coming in cold and never been with the four of them before. What was your self-talk going into the race? Just really actually comfortable because I'd known these folks through the AR orbit before, you know, Sam and Mary and Misty. Mary and Misty have raced before. Matt and I have kind of met them in the middle of the woods at some point. Plus we had uh, Jen Seger training us, uh, both Mary and I did some work uh, with Jen. So I had some of that background too. So I knew Jen wouldn't steer me wrong and wouldn't, she would definitely tell me, Hey, you need to up this instead of that to keep up with them. You know, we had some background going forward too. Um, it was just trying to, as a newbie, trying to find where I could help, um, you know, use my experience and, and whatever I could bring to the table for the team, not knowing my teammates in that way was the only uh, difficult thing to, to figure out um, that I was worried about at all. Gotcha. As a group, how did you handle navigation? Mary and Sam were awesome. <laughs> okay, so you had, you had two navigators at the front, sort of with the maps, their heads in them. Okay. At any point in the race, did anybody feel like they were being dragged along, or did everybody have a chance to look at the maps from time to time? We all had the chance to look, and I think Misty and and I, you know, stood back to to like point things out, uh, distance, pace counting, and more of the supportive portions, just so we could let them concentrate, but not feel hopefully as stressed being the main navigators. So I think we spoke up when we could, uh, but kind of set back enough too to let them because they they're definitely experienced navigators, and we were we were trusting and learning from them too. And that's, and that's a common dynamic in a race, right? The fact that the, 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 the lead navigators, they have their heads in the map. They're, they're kind of focused on the micro. What's next? The other teammates step back in a bit more macro. Sam, what do you think about that? Yeah, and, and Mary and I have done it in the past where we've bounced off from each other. Um, and we know each other's tendencies. Like when I get super chatty and start telling stories, I tend to lose where we're at on the map and Mary starts to pay more attention. And when Mary gets hungry, uh, she starts to lose focus on the map and I have to pay attention. And having the two sets of maps, like it really allowed us to play off of each other. And like specifically on the bike, um, we would set, one of us would set our maps. So we saw up until you know, the corner, the end of the road, and the other one would already have the second map ready. So we literally take turns and sometime on the other person's page, we would prep for the next one. So we wouldn't have to stop and flip pages uh, back and forth. Um, and, and Misty and Meg, I think are underselling um, their, their role in it as well. Cause there's several times, like as we're going through, this is what we're looking for. We should see a trail intersection. We should see this. And they would call those things out that we may miss because we're looking at something else and you know navigation corrections when they're occasionally needed having this third and fourth set of eyes to see the building or the intersection is super handy gotcha gotcha and it's also too and, and to the point where where sam just referenced this we talk a lot about how in adventure racing it's not necessarily error avoidance but it's error correction at some point you're going to be in the wrong spot and you got to figure it out from absolutely and, and so from a navigational perspective, and your track was very strong, you know, this was a very, very heavily followed race. This was the, a lot of eyes were on the trackers on the screen. We've had tremendous interest on in the race. Your track looked pretty clean. Was there any points during the race where it didn't feel clean at the time? Like at any point, and I see Mary smiling, were, were you standing with your map in your hand spinning in circles? Did that ever happen to you? Or did you avoid those big moments? Uh, we had one significant moment like that on the on the bike leg um it was the this was it the second long bike leg yeah coming out of the long trek that'll be elk country stage f yes um it was it was late in the evening we just come off that 24-hour trek um it was dark we did that really long climb up to the elk country on top of the mountain there, uh, Winslow Hill, I think it's called. Um, 
and Sam, Sam was on the maps and, and I wasn't, I was a little disengaged because Sam was on the map. So I was kind of taking a brain break and we had some fumbles up there. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, it worked out because we, had we not had that fumble, we wouldn't have camped up out there and we wouldn't have woken up and seen the elk grazing in the mist the next morning. Yeah, those, the pictures are amazing. So it's, it sounds like you, when you got to that part of the, of the race, I mean, a 24 hour trek, first off, a lot of us race 24 hours. So, I mean, you spent a lot of time on that trek and that was a tough trek. That was the Quahana Wild Forest. And so to your point, when things kind of went south navigationally, you kind of cooled your jets a little bit, sat down, caught your breath, off we went. So Misty, here you are now, first big expedition race you're coming into this. We all have pre-race nerves. As you look back on your experience in the race, did it, did it turn out the way you thought it would? Was the experience the way you expected it, yourself talking in advance, or did the experience, was it different for you when you got going into the race? Um, I guess it's pretty much what I was expecting going into it. You kind of knew what was coming your way from what you've learned and what you've read, and it didn't really go south for you in any way. It was what you thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah, not really. Um, definitely was dreading all the bike legs going into it just because I'm not as strong a biker as the rest, and lagging behind gets kind of demoralizing all the time. But okay. otherwise... Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. yeah. And it gets hard, though, when you layer on top of the, the the fact that you feel like you're always playing catch up. I've been there myself very often. You race with strong people. There's an experience gap. There's things like that. And then all of a sudden you start telling yourself, am I slowing the team down too much? Right. Mm -hmm. That's where the that's where yeah. that kind of tracks in there a little bit. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, been definitely. There but then I have to remind myself, like, I'm better at other sections. Like, I'm a strong trekker and pretty strong paddler. So not slowing it down completely just in that one section yeah, yeah. but making it's, up for it in the other sections it's tough to be with a teammate that much like myself sometimes lags at every single discipline it's very good that it's only one then you're pretty good so very nice sam navigation you were going to say something i was just going to comment that the, the errors that we did make were classic like we forced the map to meet what was in reality and we adjusted the scale in our mind. This bend is that corner. And if we had done the very basic thing of check the compass, we would have seen that we were going 90 degrees in the wrong direction and would have saved ourselves a fair amount of time going out and back. Thankfully, it was out and back on a road and there wasn't a huge amount of topography. Um, but it was a really good reminder. And we actually used that and a couple of the other minor goofs that we made to help guide us in the rest of it like check your compass do we really want to bike back through mountain laurel um bike whacking with uh, rhododendron is that a good idea if it's up or downhill um and check the compass even on the river are we sure that we're going the right direction on the river which gets you laughed at by other teams uh until they start paddling up mill creek Mary, I'm looking at your track right now, and I think I found the part of the, the bike course where you had a bit of a bobble. You went pretty far to the east. You 29, around yeah. CP29. Yeah, that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. So so it sounds like you missed 29 and then had to go back for it a couple of times. Am I, am I saying it correctly? So we actually stopped right above where 29 is. We saw the photographers park there. We even said, there's the <laughs> photographers. If you see the photographers, you're in the right spot. We saw Dewey Road, like everything lined up. The, uh, the one of the big things that I think threw us off is the, the name, the clue name was um, something about a farm. I can't remember the actual Gilbert, Gilbert Farm uh, viewing area, I think, was the clue. And the name on the sign said Winslow Hill viewing area. And I guess, you know, being sleep deprived and that time of night, just having done that climb, we just weren't thinking, even though we knew we were in the right spot. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so when did you so your track was pretty far to the east here when you got that far away? I noticed you're on the on the on the map. It wasn't a directional change that tipped you off. Did you just not, did it not feel right to you at that point? Did you say this is clearly, we've traveled too far on this road? That and um, we stopped to look at the supplemental map. And on the supplemental map, there was another viewing area. And I was like, Sam, we passed that viewing out area 
you know, such and such meters ago. Um, this is where we are. And that's where we really figured out exactly where we were and where we needed to go back to. And that's when we were like, that had to have been where the CP is near or was. But by the time we got back there, you know, his brain was done. My brain was done. You know, we figured that we had taken too long on that point and we all needed to, to take a sleep. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's always we, 29 where you, I think I see you here where you bend yeah. it down just to the West of it a little bit. Yeah, Found a nice Johnny blue figured that would be good accommodation to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to lay down for a couple hours. So, so did you, did you just lay flat on the ground or did you put anything on the ground underneath you? I always like to ask that question. We did set you, up our tents. We actually did. set up our tents. Yeah. Yeah. Which must've been incredibly refreshing during the race to actually be in inside. I know it's relative yeah. inside and to get out of everything that must've been good for you. And then you, you came out, you felt refreshed. It was worth your while to take that sleep. It was, I don't know how refreshed we were. We got woken up by quite a few teams also looking for 29 who weren't exactly sure where it was, which actually made us feel better at the time. Cause we were like, all right, well, if all these other teams are going back and forth, you know, we didn't screw it up too bad. Yeah. Well, clearly that sleep served you well. Cause once, once we were past that section, your nav was pretty much spot on. So the, 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 the relative refreshing helped you in a big way. Yeah, I was, um, I was kind of bound and determined after that little mishap to really stay on, stay on the map, stay on direction, um, making sure I was calling out what to look for distances as much as possible. And keep, again, keeping everybody really engaged. So we didn't mess up or didn't have any other mishaps on that bike leg. And it worked out phenomenal. Um, Misty and Meg were, were staying on top of the things that I was calling out. Sam was staying on top of the map with me as well on the SUP map. I had the topo map. So we really worked great as a team to, to really nail the rest of that bike section. Yeah. So it sounds like what you did was you farmed out your brain to other people. Yeah. Right. You knew you were tired. You knew you were beat up. And then, and then the good news is you had, you had Misty and Meg in, in the, in the bullpen, so to speak. And they were able to, because they were not, expending the mental effort inside the maps when the time came for them to step up, they could do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So, so Meg, what do you make, what do you think as you, as you went through this race and this was a a big one for you and, and, you know, you and I were at the very beginning when you got into all of this, did the race turn out the way that you thought it was going to be, or was it, was there a difference on the course? I was really worried about um, not finishing. Um, I was really, you know, not confident with, you know, abilities and then coming all together uh, so I was worried about that, but I knew that, you know, it would just take some time, but we would, you know, we would definitely do as much as we can. So I know sometimes I can be a little bit of a, a negative Nancy when it comes to like injuries or just things that could go wrong. Um, but no, it, it really went when it was done. I was like, this, this was not as bad as I thought. And I thought that we just came together so well. Uh, it was really, you know, little little bits and pieces that that didn't but for the most part we were a wheel that kept going gotcha gotcha and so it was typical challenge and, and i'll turn to, to sam and mary for this question because they have some experience here it was it was typical um uh typical expedition level challenges and struggles were clearly what it feels like that's what you you went through during the course of the race nothing really for no sure. major curveballs came. any any major mechanicals on the bikes bikes hold itself together Yeah, no, no, nothing. Yeah, it was, it was, um, and, uh, you know, Sam can speak to this as well. It was typical expedition race type stuff, you know, your brain fog brain, you know, being in the map so long, you, you start losing it a little bit. Um, but I, you know, the camaraderie was great. You know, even though we had never all been together, we, we fit in really well together um, our personalities are blended really well. And, um, I mean, it was, it was, I couldn't have asked for a better team. So, so recognizing that there was first things first, I, I feel a little bad for, for Misty and Meg in the respect that it's not always like this, right. And you're going to dive into a, an event. This is this five days. Let's go get them. No problem at all. And storm is going to come rolling in and knock you off your bike. And you're going to break a derailleur in the woods and you know, your pack raft is going to explode and all that sort of stuff. Right. So, and revel in it now, right. It's great to yeah. have it go so well for you. And we know, and, and Sam is smiling knowingly 
Um, and I think that you were, you were, you were, you were fortunate in the respect that the, everything sort of held itself together. How did you do nutritionally? What was your, what were your separate food plans? Did you, did you combine food? Is everybody on their own? Like, did anybody have any special, like, I can't eat that. My favorite foods in my, my teammates pack. <laughs> like, how did that go? Meg, let's talk. Well, yeah, we'll let Meg talk nutrition here. <laughs> yeah, Meg, have at it. I'm very specific about what I eat, so we pretty much cleared that. But by the end of it, you know, it doesn't really matter. I I ate pretty much anything I could grab. Uh, We shared food a little bit towards the end, but I don't know why you guys are laughing at me because something died in Sam's lower intestine the entire week. So maybe I had food issues with somebody. Just saying. So, Sam, I I think they're throwing it to you now. How would you do nutritionally? So we all had our separate nutrition plans. We packed our own food. We talked about it. Uh, one of the things that Misty was helping us with was was keeping track, um, not necessarily keeping track, but helping us remember to eat and drink. That was one of one of the things that she was doing for us. But we were all on our own. And I had a combination of all of the junk food to the prepackaged applesauce, um, the whole gamut of food. And at one point, Paul had asked me, I think 48 hours in, like what food I was sick of. At that point, I wasn't sick of anything because I had a really good variety. The last 24-ish hours of the race, we were definitely in each other's food bags and just straight up taking whatever they had, whatever somebody was willing to give up or trade. I had a bit of an issue for a while where I wasn't drinking because water just was not doing it for me. And fortunately, Mary had had like some of those crystal light packets or something right, and just, change the flavor. I, just changing the flavor yeah. allowed me to get it down um, to help fight off a little bit of the, the dehydration that was coming on. So that was really helpful. We also, um, we had ice cream with Bigfoot. Right. At the pale whale, the pale whale ice cream place, right. On the, on the last yeah. trek. Yeah. yeah. We went out for the, for the, 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 the tower, the fire tower one. And mm-hmm. on our way, we saw, like the flashing ice cream sign and it was like moths to a fire um, ice cream and giant sodas. Uh, you know, we could have been third graders on a field trip at that we, point. We had a very nice moment during the race where Brent and I were looking to go find Wi-Fi. We wanted, cause there was no Wi-Fi at, at, at CP37. We pulled into the Pale Whale parking lot. And when we got out of the car in our race shirts, the owner of the newest and was like, oh, you're with the race brought us in and basically we planted Brent underneath the antenna. I have a picture of him standing under the Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi antenna doing a live Zoom message uh, out to the masses because, um, yeah, and so that, we knew that ice cream, which was like a third of a mile away from the CP, they had banner business that day. Now, did they know you were with the race? Were they commenting on you when you were all sitting there with your gear on? I think they smelt us coming. Yeah. The jerseys were just secondary, but like the, yeah. the smell... Yeah. Yeah, I was in CP37 and I was kind of clean and you all weren't. You had clearly, you, you, we knew you were coming a mile away. The good news is no bugs. The bugs leave you alone when you smell that bad. And you, you hit on something that I, that I hope that we would talk about at some point. And I'll just bring it up now. Uh, you said the, the owner of the place knew you because mm-hmm. of the race here. Um, we talked to a bunch of random people on bike and in trails that we saw throughout the way. Um, and even while we were paddling, people were cheering for us and they were like in this mountain. So something Brenton Abbey or you, somebody did with the process is the community knew what we were doing and why we were there. And I've never, never had a race where random people on the, on the bank of the river would cheer for us knowing that we were coming through or people when we were going up a trail would be like, Oh, you guys are with that event and like give us support. And that was a really amazing experience as a racer to have that and have the community support around it and not just people looking at us like, what are those weird people doing now? Yeah, we, we can't say enough about the the, the various, Punxsutawney, Ridgeway, Clarion, Clearfield County, like just add in the name, Builders Rocks. Um, the response that we found from the, from the community for the event, they're very proud of that area and they're proud to show it to the world and they couldn't do enough for us in terms of promoting the, the race, there was a the local newspaper, the Clarion Journal, I might have that wrong. They were publishing daily updates on their website. Like they were actually filling people in. And so that was, it was a really, really oh, nice cool. response. Um, on top of that, 
now that you're home, you probably have a sense of the social media facing of how many people were watching outside the race. I mean, the um, attack point, which is the website that venture racers tend to follow, the thread on attack point for the endless mountains was over 500 comments on it, right? So clearly this captured the interest of a lot of people. And that was great. The, I've been, like I said earlier, I've been racing for, for 10 years now. So my, my wife has been putting up with racing and racing antics for 10 years now. And after we got to the finish line, I called her and she, she said, like, I knew what was going on with the race. Like I knew what was happening because there was so much reporting. And she's like, I understand why you dot watch while you're not, when you're not racing now, because you can see what's there. And just like her and my relationship, like we're, we're able to talk about this race more than we have any other race in the past because of the coverage and family and friends that I shared the link and the trackers with and the Facebook pages with prior to the race, like have some, some concept that like, we're not doing an obstacle course race and it's not a off-road triathlon, like the photos and the coverage and the explanation of the dots um, really, really added to the the overall experience, like bringing our family into it. And as like, this is one of my main passions in life and having people that I know and care about outside of adventure racing, get a glimpse of that and have them have some buy-in rather than Sam's doing something in the woods again, like have them get excited for it as well. It allows that to spread. And I think ultimately bring in more people in the sport, maybe not necessarily bring in people to race like my family members that are never going to race but they're more likely to watch my dots next time because they know what's going on and they have a concept of it um and i think that's really really exciting again credit to brent and abby and the media team and the social media team and the guest commentators and uh, the actual media of the news channels and not that cover it yeah, to, to that point, it feels like a lot of a lot of things kind of came together simultaneously, right? We had a very active dot watching crew at home with Andrea and Barbara, Alyssa Gadeski, and everybody who was on the home side watching, combined with the on-site media with the photos going up every day. There was this sort of this and and the quality tracking from Mark Harrison and Able Tracking. So that it all, all the pieces came together. Um I tend to think that one thing that happened with this race, and and maybe you're seeing it now that you're on the on the on the back end of it, is that this has kind of changed the dynamic for what race directors are able or willing to do during a big race. Um, okay. And I'd be willing to bet going into Endless Mountains 2023, it's actually going to go up a bit of a notch too. I know there's I, I I'm kind of speculating that we may see almost like I'm going to use the word anchor desk. Let's not get too serious here, but like at, in transition areas that we may have live coverage at a TAs wow. like at TA four five, which was the, that abandoned quarry wow. pit that you all had a chance to enjoy and really revel in. Um, that would have been a great place because teams were coming through there over a 24 hour period. That would have been a cool place to do some live reporting from. So things like that. It was also cool. The race, um, just the format of the race with four or five being a shared TA. Um, every, every team was there twice which means that we had the opportunity to see every team. And in some races, when they're super linear, if you're not in the front, you may see a team and then you may not see a team ever again. But the format of this race, the way, like the literal way that it was set up, we saw, I think, every team out there at least once. Right. Uh, we got yelled at by one team because we woke them up in the middle of the night because one of us was giggling about cookies while we were mending our feet. Um, <laughs> but we crossed paths with so many teams, so many teams that we met for the first time and people that we either race with or done their races in the past. So it was really cool to see that. Well, at the same time, we're in the middle of nowhere, like proper middle of nowhere but we know like we see people in passing on the trails or bushwhacking through places. It was really, really, really cool experience. Even like we were, we're mid pack for this race. Yeah. It, well, I checked you, you finished in the top 50%. So you're, I mean, yeah. you're, 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 you're right there. You're a solid mid pack expedition Absolutely. level team. And that's what, that was our expectation. That's what we wanted. But even as a mid pack team, like we saw, we saw bones, we saw bend, uh, we saw Untamed, we saw Rib, like we saw the folks that went won, and not just like at the start line when they sprinted away. So it was cool to cross paths with them in different ways. And I think, again, from the racer experience, that is a really positive thing to know that like 
they're still here. They're still doing this stuff as well. And the shared TA with the whiteboard seeing that like, oh, they were out there for 20 hours or 25 hours or 28 hours as well. They might've done 15 or 20 more miles than us in that time frame, but that's secondary. Right, right. And the and the, we were saying, I was on a, a call earlier with somebody else. One thing about this sport is the only thing that you're judged on is your effort. Right. That's, that's the, that's the bat. That's what we have here. And inside the team too, it, it sounds like inside the team that there was nobody was ever getting dragged along. It sounds like there was equal effort on the team and everybody brought their own strengths to the, to the table. Right. And for some people, and I think qualifies from Megan Misty school was in session, right? It was time to learn things that you didn't necessarily know. And, and Mary and Sam, because you've done this type of racing before while you still learned a lot, there were still things that you, you brought a bit more muscle memory to the table than we were seeing before. So let me turn to Megan Misty. What did you learn during this race? What was the thing, what, what part of your, of your adventure racing brain really developed over the course of this race? Just the team fluidity, you know, where, where one person's strength or weaknesses ended, the other person could pick up and, and the, the over time, how you recognize that and knew where to fill in. I mean, I think that was my favorite part of this race period is going in with people that you don't know and then being so in tune with them by the end of the race. You yeah. knew everything about their emotions, their their being, whether they were quiet for this reason, whether they're hungry, their medical condition or whatever. And then two days after the race, you're almost missing that because you're just like, I'm all alone. Where's, where's Misty, Mary and Sam? Where's my group? I have a task to do, but I don't. Abby Perkis had that beautiful email about re-entry you know, about your regular lives and, and then the two different dynamics, the racing dynamic and and then home life where your other connections and bonds exist. The two different worlds is uh, is something that I learned a lot from from AR, but but the growth over a five day period uh, of four people and the connection that you make, it, that actually was the most amazing experience to me um, learning wise. Yeah, because you you take that you take that five day hundred and twenty hour experience and you 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 force yourselves into this little world and your world are those maps and the people and the navigation. Misty, do you want to weigh in? What do you learn? Oh, out sure. There? Uh, just mostly like how important the communication is. I'm not one to like tell everybody if I'm like suffering because I'm not used to doing a bunch of team sports. I'll do like backpacking trips on my own for long distances, but. Uh, just making sure everyone knows like what I need when I need it. Did anybody go in the hole and not tell their teammates? Anybody have to get rescued from a nutritional hole or a bad foot hole or, or something like that? If they did, they hit it well. <laughs> one person on our team that as we were hiking at Porcupine Ridge made this statement, I'm no longer sweating. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and, an uh, issue. Yeah. yeah, that's dangerous. And they, yeah, and they called themselves out on it publicly, and we had we had a sit down and had some electrolytes and some water. Um, and I like credit to Abby and Brent that I, people on the team were required to do wilderness aid training. Mm-hmm. We know dehydration in general in life, but like that was a specific thing taught in the class. At least I believe it was. I'm not one of the ones that did it. Um, but to call that out and then we tuck that break and our team member did what they needed to do for themselves and for the team in general. Because your supporting. race would have taken a much different turn if that person didn't verbalize, didn't recognize the physical change. I, I, I was at a race one time where I was, it was a very, very hot day. I saw another team had this dynamic where one person felt great. They were related and it was a brutally hot day. And 10 minutes later, they were, they were basically on the ground because they were dehydrated and their body had that last little shot of glucose that came out, which made them feel great. And then they dropped and then they crashed. And then they literally had like, you know, they were fine. It was goose and food, but it took them out of the race for a while because the heat exhaustion got a hold of them. So credit to that. So, so nobody on the team got caught in that kind of a hole. So that speaks to the team dynamic and how well you took care of each other. Out of curiosity, um, who was, who was the parent of the team? Who was the person who would basically keep an eye on everybody yeah. else? I think we all were pretty good about asking, like, how you doing? You know, we'd ride up next to whoever and be like, you doing okay? How you feeling? Um, I think Meg definitely wins the award for TA mom. She really, she was boss in transition. And 
we still can't figure out how fat how she got so fast in TA, but she took care of the rest of us filling our waters and helping us get out of TA quicker and making sure we were all, you know, in good shape in TA. So she definitely gets good credit for that. And and, and credit to, to to Megan. I bet Misty, you qualify in this category also. That while Mary is the team captain and and Sam is the as the co navigator, it's not uncommon for the other two racers to feel. I use the term left out, not the right word to use, but you know what I mean? You feel uninvolved, but Meg, you played your strengths in the TA. You got the team up and running. It sounds like, it sounds like Misty. It sounds like you were there. You would keep an eye on people. It sounds like you were doing a really nice job with that. So everybody kind of fell into a natural role inside of the team. And that's a credit to your, your, your pre-race communication with each other. In terms of overall speed, if you if you race together again, if you if you went back out there in a week and a half, you did this race again, would the fact that you know each other so well lead to a faster result? Or do you think you'd be pretty much you're at the upper end of your speed? Um, we actually had that discussion and we would like to do it again and we'd like to do it faster. <laughs> if you look in the chat for for Zoom, it actually says next time we'll go faster. You will. Okay. So you think, so next time you think, and so what was the barrier for this time? Was it just getting used to the distance? Was it getting used to, was it like, what, what prevented you? I mean, you had a solid time, but if, if you, if you, when you do your post-race analysis and if you decide that you want to go higher up in the standings as a team, what do you think you need to work on? Um, it, this being everybody's first five day, um, you know, Sam and I weren't, necessarily new to the whole expedition experience but this being everybody's first five day um misty and meg being relatively new to the sport and and relatively new to a four-person team and the dynamics that come with a four-person team which is a lot different when it's you know just two people racing together and and stuff like that we we knew we like I said, from the beginning, we wanted this to be more of an experience. We wanted everybody to finish and we wanted everybody to have a good time. Um, that being said, now that we've all finished and we've all done it and know our limits, the goal would be for next year to push those boundaries. We know what those boundaries are relatively, you know, of course, of course, the course always changes, but we know that we can do this. So now let's push it and see what we can really do. And let's, let's get faster and more efficient and, and uh, still have a good time. So, so it sounds like hunting Bigfoot is ready to, to tackle other races. Now you mentioned next oh, yeah. year, next year, you know, the week of June 26 is when they're considering it's a week later next year. Um, are you considering other doing other races as a four between here and there? Main summer adventure race. You look, and it's, it's hard to get four schedules together. It's hard to get four sets of lies together. That's always a challenge. But do you plan on keeping some combination of this team together to build that muscle memory? Oh, absolutely. Um, Misty and I race a lot together, just her and I. Um, you know, would obviously like to keep doing that. Meg, we've talked to Meg about bringing her in. Um Sam is always welcome. He's got some some more family obligations that prevent him from from getting out as much as the rest of us can. But you know, anytime he wants to jump in, he's he's more than welcome. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely keep racing in in some aspect of this group. Um, and we've even looked at doing maybe even doing Expedition Ozark next year as well. So yeah, there's uh, there's definitely talk of what's next. I'm ready. Well, it's, a, it's a great thing. You know, very often when, when these conversations are held um, with teams following races, part of the conversation is about how the, how the team had to overcome adversity that was found from within. And it sounds like that wasn't the dynamic here at all for team hunting Bigfoot. It sounds like from the, from the very first delightful uh, pack raft, how do you all enjoy that? The, the pack raft, by the way, <laughs> Sam, how'd you like that pack raft? Uh, at the end of it, I found a pink float by CP12 and I carried it back for Brent so he could go float down the river by himself. Um, that's how I felt about it. I've seen, I've seen the pink float. Um, in full disclosure, as you know, that I was part of the team that helped to determine if that was a pack raffable body of water or not. Um, oh. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and I did that up to CP4 the day before. Um, and I think that Sam is desperate to curse at me, but he recognizes how important it is for him not to do that. So Sam, I appreciate your, 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 your holding it in there. Um, I thought, as I say, it's always a good day to take your boat for a walk. 
right? And that's what you had a chance to do. Yeah, it's it was hike a boat. Hike a boat. Yeah, it's part of it's part of it though. It's part of the it's part of the challenge. It's like if you wanted to be nice and easy and smooth and like no complications, then well, you're in the wrong sport to begin with. But like my part, I think part of my frustration with that is uh, I'm a 200 pound dude, 200 yes. plus with all of my gear and like I'm scraping bottom yeah. all the time. And like when we ended up getting the, the actual canoes later on, all the gear went in the other boat, whatever boat I wasn't in, all of the gear was in to help try and even it out. Um, but it, it's pack crafting. It was still fun. Even when it's, right. even when it was less than enjoyable, it's yeah. better than being at work. It also got, it also got progressively better, right? It was, oh, yeah. it was, and that was part of, that's what we felt better about with that section. When, when Paul Miller and I did, we scouted that out. We did a fair amount of walking, but we knew that once you got down to CP4, which was six miles down, you had pretty much river after that. But That's also, we, like with pack rafting, we you have the option to make choices. Right. We inflated at the very beginning and put in and tried to go, and we got in and out, and we got in and out. It's a pack raft, and I didn't see anywhere in the rules where it said you had to inflate at the TA. We could have made the decision to leave the boats in the bag and then hiked three miles or four right. miles of the river. And at some times that would have been faster right. than paddling. We just made the choice for whatever reason. And I think most teams did made the choice to start to paddle from the beginning. If we were in this same river again next year with the same water levels, then I bet you would see a lot more teams with their packs, with their boats in their packs for duration. And with the, the pack, the introduction of pack raft to adventure racing in the Eastern United States, at least, is still relatively new. It's only been a couple of years that pack rafts have been an option. There's been a couple of years, like I think two rivers it's required. Mm -hmm. um, I know Abby and Brent have had it for some others, Stock has had it for others, but I don't know other East Coast races that have required pack raft. And right. having the option to hike along the river or next to the river or something versus getting in, you can make those choices. and. I don't know that we we necessarily chose poorly, but I, I might make a different choice next time. Right. Yeah, I know that the, the main summer adventure race, which is July 16th, um, being put on by Strong Machine, they have a pack raft section where you could either pack raft it or there's an alternate route where you could hike it. So that's that's part of it also. And then Eric Carvala is putting on the Eastern Mountain Wilderness Challenge, which is up in the Adirondacks, which is a, um, a five checkpoint 30 hour race. Um, which is which is going to be a, gr a great event, right? So pack rafting is becoming more and more of what we're we're seeing here now. Um, as we begin to wrap up here, and and I and I have to give the team a lot of credit. Usually these these episodes go a lot longer when they have to work out their challenges and their difficulties. It sounds like you're such a smooth race that there's you know how'd it go? It was great. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not completely true. Mary and I definitely yell at each other. Well, 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 okay. now, now we're getting into it. And yeah, now, like, now, so, 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 so time out here. Stop, stop. Misty and Meg, how badly did they yell at each other? That's you answer the question, not the two of them. Oh, no, they, they did go back and forth, but I got to apologize to Misty for every curse word, the entire pack raft and canoe. Every time we bounced it off a rock, I was dropping every <laughs> F-bomb possible. So I have to apologize. She was incredibly patient with me. Uh, but no, Sam and the... Sam and Mary definitely went back and forth a little bit, uh, but in good nature though. And what they had to say was, you know, their points made sense. So uh, was it, was it over navigational differences? Time. Was it over a map difference? Sometimes, but it was just more like, Hey, this is what I'm really seeing. Can you stop and, and listen to me? Um, Cause this is, I really strongly think this way. Uh, and then sometimes the other person would say, well, I strongly think this way. Um, but no, I, I I'm really right. Think no, I'm right. You can't both be right. Let's figure it out. Yeah. I think the worst Sam of it is was... a salesman is the problem. And yeah. he can make you believe anything. <laughs> Even if you know deep down what he is selling you is a bad idea and you don't want any part of it. But Mary, trust me, you want to buy I... this direction. What's it going to yes. take you to put you in and this as direction? Long What's as it going to take? I've known him, and as close as we are, I still buy into it, right. even though I know better. Right. <laughs> the, the point that came to the place that came to mind for me was uh, in the la in the the paddle, the rapids, the X Y Z. Yes. Rapids. Yeah, we got into it for sure. It, it was late at night. It was eleven o'clock, almost twelve o'clock, and I wanted to get past the rapids, 
And we had been going since five in the morning and um, we were, we were debating how far to go. And we had just paddled with some teams that stopped on the Island on, I think CP 34. Um, they had stopped there and we didn't, I didn't want to stop because I want, we were concerned about time and going through the rapids. The first set of rapids, we got out, we scouted it. We saw where the route was. We saw that the water was low and we were going to drag. So we decided to portage around the rapids anyways. We get to the other side of the rapids and we'd hit every rock in the river up until that point. And we're water weary, we're tired, not necessarily having the best reaction time, knowing that there's more rapids coming. Right. Um, we wanted to push on, we wanted to stay, we wanted to push on, we wanted to stay. And it came down to the point where like, one of us was going to be angry and we made the, the, I think ultimately the call was made twofold. We, we actually camped 50 feet past X rapids. We pulled over and that's where we set up our tents and spent the night. And ultimately the call was made for two reasons. One is that part of the team was starting to feel not safe. Paddling Mary was drunk walking in the water. Right. So if you heard <laughs> not feeling safe isn't a good place to be. And then the other is, beyond adventure racing we're friends and to push the limits of our friendship in a race that may have repercussions outside of the race wasn't worth it to me so if it means that we sleep a little bit longer we rest a little bit longer that takes that that's more important to be able to look at a friend straight face the next day and say i didn't make you feel unsafe by getting another quarter of a mile or right and i think the the big the big test there is the idea of safety Right. That yeah. you weren't going to it's it's one thing to be inconvenienced and that's part of adventure racing. But when someone doesn't feel safe in, in part of an event, that's when you kind of you kind of cool your jets a little bit. You mentioned time. You came in at a, at a hundred and seventeen and a half hours. So you, you, had, you had a two and a half hour buffer at the end of the race, which is not a lot of time in a hundred and twenty hour race. When did you start getting nervous about finish time? Um, I think when we were on the optional trek off the paddle, the first trek. Um, we had given ourselves a time limit on that portion and the longer we were out on that portion, um, the more nervous we were about time. It was taking us a lot longer than we expected. Right. And you were pretty far um, out there. You went, we went pretty far on that track. I'm looking at your track. Yeah. Now. And our route choice kind of shows that, right? Yeah. Like our route choice shows, like we were planning on clearing that section. And then the, you know, the further we kept going, we were like, Whoa, this, this is, this is getting long. You know, we started looking at the mandatory track that was coming up and distances and, and that was really the only time we felt any real time pressure, I think. Right. I think we felt pretty good on that mandatory trek section off the paddle. Um, and even going into that last paddle, we obviously knew how much time we had at that point. Right. Um, but we also hadn't slept at all um, in over 24 hours going into that last paddle so that you know that obviously was going to be an issue people falling asleep in the boat so right. we were, we slowed down quite a bit but um you know we still had that buffer so and you had to travel um, through the I'm night because okay. it was a 10 o'clock finish in the morning so mm-hmm. you you paddled through that last night and then you go up there okay yeah yeah i mean we went into it um as soon as we got off the boats um to go out on that trek we we knew we, we wanted to get as many points, hoping to clear that section. We started off at a really good clip, um, you know, moving quicker probably than we had in, in quite a few hours, maybe a day, um, trying to, to make the most of our time there. When did you, when did you feel like you passed the halfway point? What's, what section, what stage did you say we were turning for home? I think for me, it was the big trek after the big trek. After Kohana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that. Did everyone else agree with that? When did you feel like the race was starting to, to go there? Misty, I see you nod in your head. You think that makes sense to you? Yeah, after the big trek was definitely our half point point. But once we got onto that canoe, that was like the home stretch for me at least. Right. I mean, not to, not to understate the need to paddle, but like water's going to help you. Right. And well, what was your, what was your teams when you saw the schematic and you knew you were finishing with a 60 mile paddle? How did that land with the team? 
I don't think we specifically talked about it. I th- we knew it was going to be big. Like we knew, we knew that there was going to be miles. And th- I think the thing with the schematic, what we talked about the most was the bike and the, the bike and the paddle that if they were linear, they were going to cause issues because if they were linear, there's nothing to cut. You can't cut a 60 mile river right. paddle. Right. Um, a, a point to point bike, you can't cut. Right. You got to cover Again, the distance. Brett and Abby's course design, but both the, the 70 mile bike and the 90 mile bike, we were able to cut and stay, stay full course. The 60 mile paddle is just like, some days right. you get the mashed potatoes and gravy. Some days you get the lima beans. That was, that was a couple yeah. servings of lima beans. Yep. Yep. The only way out is through. Okay. And we had made the decision too, that we wanted to get to that paddle or start that paddle with um, hopefully enough time where we could get out of the boat and go and get at least one point on the first trek. And then of course the Mando's on the second trek, because we knew how important mentally it would be to get out of that boat for any amount of time, rather than just having to paddle past that first optional checkpoint area and doing 40 some miles a you know straight through that mm-hmm. just would be mentally that's a hard. long hard paddle. i mean because when you're tired paddling is just the, the rhythmic nature of a paddle just kills you for staying awake and also right. paddling is I, I don't know that it for me it's it's my the aspect of the sport where i could use the most work there's the most room for growth in my paddling <laughs> we'll put it that way um so to get out and do something on foot, something that I know as a foursome, um, that's one of our stronger points. So to play into that, having the paddle, have, be able to break the paddle up. And that goes, Mary helped, Mary, uh, helped set our, our time goals for each area. And I think there was 35 hours allotted to the paddle and the final two treks. So like working backwards, putting in some sleep, 39 hours, is when we wanted to start that last paddle in order to give us time to do both of those. And when Mary mentioned earlier, like our goals, that was one of our things that we looked at. This is the allotment of time. And for the most part, we stuck to the hours we had allotted for each segment, which allowed us to get out of the boat and get the points in the first optional and to like not freak out that we took 20 minutes to eat ice cream. Right. And like, you know, we took maybe some unnecessary selfies along the way <laughs> and like giggled at things, but we had, you know, we had a little bit of time. So, and that, and that speaks to the idea of the experience. It, 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 Very much the, exp- the experience. Yeah. We weren't going to win. We knew going into this, we weren't right. going to win. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't an option, but I think if you measured if you counted how many laughs and how much fun and the joy of a race, I think our ours would be right up there with any other team that completed the race. If you measured it in that way, we we probably won. Um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, there's, and that came up during one of the Facebook live broadcasts. We were talking about that, how we we recognized during those broadcasts that we were talking to a, a community that didn't know a lot about adventure racing. And so we talked a lot about the idea that we need to redefine what victory means. We need to redefine what winning means. And, and you just touched on that, that, you know, getting through the race course, finishing in one piece, finishing as friends, that that's what we count as a victory, where a lot of non-adventure racers, they live in a world in which it's, it's a binary equation. If you have more points than the other person, you won. If you have less than them, you lost. And we really kind of, we, we, we have to reinvent what that means for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Having the race only finished a few days ago, so but you have a chance to process it out. If you were, if you were asked to speak to someone considering a, a, a race of this length, what what piece of advice would you give them going into it? What was the thing that you did best in preparation for the race that served you best out on the course, Meg? Let me start with you. Mental training, just just have a plan going in, one step at a time, one leg at a time. Don't quit. Ride the ride. Uh, like I'd heard through so many podcasts, you're gonna have you're gonna have your downs. Just know that they're coming, and you'll get through them. You're gonna have your ups too, and they pass just as quickly. Uh, so have something to eat, take a break, 
start back over, do whatever it, you, you have to do to, to get through those downs, whether you're screaming at the rocks or, or whatever. Um, but you, you will get through it uh, and know that. Right. The old expression, right? No matter how you feel, it's going to pass. It will. Right. Yep. And that's and when it's good and when it's bad, it's going to pass eventually. And there's some wonderful points to it. You wake up and you see the elk grazing in the pastures. I mean, that's just, holy cow, right? The pictures, I mean, I mean, this has been in the Facebook headquarters. They're wondering why everybody's changing their profile pictures. Everybody's profile (laughs) pictures are becoming elk and people at the finish line. I mean, what an amazing, you know, I have to tell you, it it killed me to import all those elk just for the race. I had to go really, really far to get them to put them there for all of you. It was actually Paul Miller and I were actually in elk costumes. That's actually, that's the big secret of the race. Um, Misty, how about you? What's the one thing you did that really set you up for success here? I think I was pretty mentally prepared for the race because I'd done other like longer things before, not necessarily an adventure race, but just being out in the woods for a long period of time. So I was pretty mentally prepared for it. So that really helped. And then uh, lots of training. Definitely get all your training in. So it sounds like your your backpacking experience does a wonderful crossover to adventure racing. You're used to being out in the open. You're used to being on your feet. You're just, it was fine. And then obviously all the training that you had to do. Before we jump on to you, Barry and Sam, who here felt as if they made huge gains in in preparing for the race? Who really amped up their training to really get strong for the race? Or did you come into a pretty much set? I amped up big time. And what did that look like for the listener out there? What did your, what was the change in your training to let you get ready for the race? Was it distance? Was it, was it interval work? Was it with a coach? What did Jen have you do? It was with a coach, interval work, a lot of endurance, a mix of everything. She really structured my training. My training before for other uh, races was just a lot of running and some trail running and things like that. But she, she concentrated on so many things, uh, cross training and recovery days and, and really pushing and, and keeping your, uh, your heart rate up for a long periods of time. So that's something that I never, you know, I had, I was responsible to somebody who was watching me saying, you know, this is what I want you to do. And I'm, that's what I did. Gotcha. And it worked. I felt good. So I'm happy with what she, what she structured for me. It sounds like it worked out well for you. It sounds like no point. It sounds like nobody during the race really kind of fell apart physically. Am I hearing that right? Like everybody yeah. pretty much stayed right in the zone the entire time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's great. I mean, it sounds like you really had the secret sauce. So, so well done. Well done. Uh, Sam, what, what did you do to prepare yourself for the race? Um, I think having honest conversations before the race, like uh, with myself and with the team together, like what do we honestly want to do? What are our honest goals and checking them with reality to see like, is that, is that feasible? And so setting the expectations in a, in a way. Um, and then the other part of it was just, it's a race. We're paying to have this experience and just have some fun. Don't take it too seriously. Like even when we're going the wrong direction or there's that CP again, like it's going to be fine at the end of the day, we've got time. Um, or you don't have time. You just have to go faster. Right. Um, but it's, it's an experience. Enjoy it. Mary, how about you? Um, I I have been working with Jen um, also as my coach for for quite a while, so she was pretty instrumental in in you know also ramping me up for this um, and getting me ready. Um, I had a few physical setbacks, um, so she had to navigate those. Um, so those made me a little nervous going into it, but. I think kind of echoing what everybody else said at the end of the day, it's, you know, managing your goal and your mental capability, you know, just as much as physical. Um, I've been racing since 2013. So deep down, I knew I had the physical, it was, you know, staying on top of that mental health, you know, and, and the positive self-talk when things were low, um, to get you to the next high point, whatever that, you know, was, would be, but you knew it was coming. Um, I think that really, I think that's really what, what did it, you know, and the team, I mean, at the end of the day, when you have such a great collection of people that have come together, you know, I feel very fortunate that these three other individuals wanted to come up on board and be a part of this team and share this same goal 
and we all were able to work together and, and make it happen, you know, and without that, it wouldn't have gone so well, you know? So I, I, for one, feel very fortunate to have these awesome people out there with me. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And you, you know, you, you speak to, I speak to a lot of adventure racers, both as part of the podcast and just in general, because I find it a fascinating community. And I know a lot of people out there that just can't find the right people to race with. Like they just can't get that. They race with people and either the speeds are different, the attitudes are different. Um, sometimes if you can't find anybody to race with, it's not them. Right. And it's and it sounds like it's it sounds like it's you as a group that you've kind of stumbled upon each other in very positive ways, too, because you've there's that Venn diagram of who knows each other and who races together and all of that. Um, so congratulations. For sure. Congratulations for having the experience you had. Um, you know, I, I it's 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 wonderful. It's wonderful to sit here post race and talk with a team that is just positively glowing with the experience. And that's I think that's a fair word to use to describe how you all are right now. Um, oh, yeah. And and I'm assuming I'm assuming that Endless Mountains 2023. Are we going to see a repeat of the team? You guys are going to try to all try to get there together. Is that, has that been decided or you're trying to figure it out? I would love to. I would absolutely love to have a repeat of this same team um, going back into it. Um, I know we briefly discussed it. I think Meg might have another obligation um, for something with the Special Olympics, with the, which I'm super sad about, but completely understand. Um, but um, it would be hard to replace her if we would even be able to. <laughs> right. Well, the good news is if you if she can't make it next year, whoever the new team is, just call that person Meg, because that'll make them feel really good. <laughs> You know, or well, say a lot. Start you know, with an M, right? Yes, we need to find another M. M. No, any any letter but M. Anyone any M. letter yeah. but yeah. M. Make sure during the race you say to that person, "Listen, listen, Meg, you're not quite Meg, but it's okay. We're going to call you that, and that'll go great." That, no, no, no. Like that at hour, hour ninety. If- it's it might come out as Margaret if something something goes real wrong. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> when things fall apart. Well, well listen, everybody, I, I appreciate your, your time to come on the dark zone. Um, I'm impressed that you've not all eaten for an hour because you do know that when you're adventure racing, you eat every hour on the hour when the race is over and you're probably all exhausted. So I, I really appreciate your time. It sounds like, Sam, you want to say something. I just want to put a, another shout out to uh, Abby and Brent and Rootstock Racing and all of the volunteers and all of the supporters that they had behind the scenes that we don't know about, whose names I'll never know, the different community organizations that gave time, effort, money, energy, um, from the school bus drivers to the Eagle Lodge to the whoever helped set up the bathrooms at the all of the TAs. It was really, really well put together race. It was a great experience all the way through from the food to the tea, uh, checkpoints being in the right spot. Um, and it's just such a massive undertaking for everything to go. I wouldn't say it went perfect because I'm sure there was stuff we don't know about chaos behind the scenes. But from my experience, it, it seemed pretty, pretty flawless in that aspect. Um, having done a bunch of races all over and different events, not race related, um, they, they definitely raised the bar on racer experience for this from the swag and the communication pre-race, post-race, um, all the way through. They, they really have done an amazing job taking care of us and making sure that we had uh, the experience that we wanted, or at least we wanted. So I can't say enough about um, their organization and what they've done and what they're doing for adventure racing.